So now okay. it's recording. My older daughter has always been afraid or has always been like rebellious against me. So she went through this rebellious thing where she was a she was in Christianity. She was a religious um, sort of would go to church and stuff and wanted to be like, I'm a Christian now. It was the funniest thing. And I was like, you know, those, all those gruesome horror movies you watch, you probably, you shouldn't watch those anymore. It's of the devil. And she's like, no, I asked them about it. And they said, it's fine. And I was like, well, why don't you go ahead and read the actual Bible and not just believe what you're being told, you know, read the actual Bible. And, you know, if you have any questions, let me know or ask them questions. And then she started getting to the part about women being subservient to men. <laughs> Timothy 2.12. Which is what was one of my hangups because when I was religious, my husband was an idiot. I couldn't let him control the household. We'd have been homeless and starving. So um, that's kind of where she was like, uh, never mind. But I was like, read the Bible and decide for yourself. Read, don't just read the passages they tell you to. Read everything around it and, and see how they're cherry picking what they want. And so she ended up not being religious, but I just found it hilarious that she was religious to rebel against me. I gave religion a chance as my parents had said, well, you know, um, my mom was technically Catholic. My dad's technically Mormon, but they technically don't practice at all. And um, so they were like, you can, you can read it all and the Bible and all this other stuff and figure out which one you agree with and you'll come to your conclusion. And so I went to college and I actually, um, I was going for history at first. And I took comparative religions and it involved reading. The only thing I'd read up to that point was the Book of Mormon um, because that's what my dad was. And I was just like, huh, this seems pretty weird. <laughs> and then I went to college and I read, uh, shit, I read uh, the Bible, the Upanishads, um, like 60 some odd stories of the Quran, which is basically just the Bible. And um, I was just like, oh yeah, I don't believe any of this. And that's when, like, I think I actually realized it kind of like before I had even, um, I, like the Book of Mormon kind of clued me in. I was like, I don't think I believe any of this. And then once I saw like what all the other religions were saying too, I was like, oh yeah, I definitely don't believe any of this. <laughs> like, Religion's really just like Taco Bell. It's just the same stuff wrapped in a different package. Um, and regardless of whatever it was when it started, it is now just a tool for rich white men to control things. Oh, especially, uh, the Catholic church is the best example. I had actually heard that on NPR with the last, um, big Catholic church, um, issue with boy touching was that they were like, some guy on the radio was like, well, you know, if they don't do something about this, people are going to start to think that this religion was just created to protect old white men to from um, from the law do do whatever they wanted. And I was like, "What do you mean? Start to think like what? <laughs> what else is there to think? I don't know what else there is to conclude by this point." Yeah, yeah, it was rewritten <laughs> to control the masses. It was written rewritten at a time when most people couldn't read. Yeah, um, and then and then they left stuff out and they interpreted things wrong into the way they wanted and you know just to keep rich white people in control and in power and mm -hmm. it's all malarkey and i and 
unless I can read the original, it's just all a fucking, I just don't believe in any, I definitely don't, like I started out just not believing in organized religion, and I tried it as an adult, 110%, I was a church lady, I was treasurer of the women's group, I did it, I typed my 10%, I didn't listen to music that wasn't um, Christian, I didn't watch movies over PG, I was raising my kids religiously, I was going to homeschool them so they didn't go to school and get the devil in them, um, I was going to do all of it, and then I just, it took me getting into it to really see how fucked it is. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have to see it for myself, I'm that kind of person, so, yeah. I was just like, because before that, I wasn't really religious, but I believed in God, and I still believed in the Bible and stuff. I just didn't like church, and now I'm like, fuck all of it. It's all stupid. My mom's like what I call a red-letter Christian. She really focuses on more like what Jesus said, and like the Old Testament is really just um, kind of a history of things, but then when Jesus came, it was supposed to change stuff, and so most of the hateful things people use are in the Old Testament. Yeah. She's like, Jesus never talked about gay people, so it couldn't have been that important. Mm -hmm. He just said something about it. And so, but he still says, you know, the, the basic principle of Christianity I call bullshit on, the whole died and rose again and son of God and all that. I don't believe that Jesus was the son of God and, and all this stupid shit. I think that it was ancient people explaining their surroundings with their limited knowledge right now yeah. we know better I've, I've even i actually um i can be really annoying especially in this town because on top of that like i'm also pretty anti any spirituality honestly yeah uh, besides like tripping on mushrooms i don't really like spirituality just basically makes me uncomfortable it's like moaning and yodeling into the ether um and especially because like i do stuff in politics and so often I have to go to like protests and stuff like that <laughs> there's always like some old spiritual white dude shaman speaking in tongues that he calls that he says is a native american language and you're like i can't respect this <laughs> i can't respect spirituality at all because it just all seems like made up I feel yeah these days I, I'm more agnostic I don't necessarily they say this is or this isn't um, but I have you know I, I'm not I'm open to the idea that there would be reincarnation that would kind of make sense to me um, if there was it would explain some things about human nature and human beings um, I also I mean, I fuck around with tarot cards a little, but nothing like seriously. But, um, and I, my biggest thing is like, I'm really into just trusting the universe. <laughs> Whatever you want to label the, I, I call it the universe, but I'm just like, it helps me not be so stressed out. Cause I'm just like, I just have to trust in the process of life that, you know, I'm just trusting in the process and trusting in the universe. Well, it's like you said earlier, controlling the things that you can control. And if you yeah. put the universe as the category of things you can't, then it's probably a, probably a good policy. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, I can obviously make good decisions that 
that affects my life, but I don't think about it so hard that I'm paralyzed to where I don't make a decision at all because I'm too scared of the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, like moving to Denver, I, I moved there and lived in my SUV for like six months because if I was going to wait until I could get a place and do all that, it was just too hard to do from Wichita. And I needed to go, man. I couldn't take it anymore. So I just went with it and trusted the universe would provide. And then it did. And I mean, obviously I had to go seek out opportunities. I didn't just get jobs because they came to me or something, but, um, so you still have to work for it, but you don't always get what you want for sure. But I don't know. I just, I just like, I'm just going to trust in the universe and the universe will provide me with what I need when I need it. Uh, and I just have to have patience and keep plugging away, you know, keep doing what I'm doing and putting myself in positions so that when the universe does give me an opportunity, I'm able to, to take it. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I am. Um, I moved around a whim too with just like a suitcase and like yeah. $1,300 or something like that. I keep my life as limited with have tos as possible. With what? Have tos. Have tos? Yeah. You, 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 I don't, you try to limit it to have tos? I limit my have tos. Oh, you limit your have tos. How many of those that I have? Mm-hmm. I don't like having to do something that I don't want to do, um, because I have to. Um, so, you know, I just kind of like, I, cause I had kids. So like for 20 years, there was a lot of things I did that I did not want to do, but I had to do because I'm a mother and I got to take care of these kids. And that's my responsibility that I took on. I have the children, you know, so there was so much in my life that was just, I didn't have any choice in anymore once I made those decisions to be a mom. And so, now that they're grown, I really try to keep my have-tos down to as few as possible. I know exactly what you mean. I actually, um, I am on like on a life vacation right now for at least one more month, or at least the rest of this month, because I am one of those people who I will just give myself have-tos. People will ask me to do stuff that I don't have to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll just do that. It, we, even though it's just, I'll just pack it into my uh, my day or my, my to do's. So I actually am, uh, on a vacation from have to's right now. Yeah. It, the only thing that I have have to's about is comedy related things. Really? Everything leads back to comedy. Um, if it's a have to, I mean, like I really, I'm trying to get a day job. I'm trying to get the right day job that I'm not going to hate. Um, but I will need to make money. I can DoorDash. It'll be okay. But um, I'm trying to make money. You know, I need to make money, but I need to make money because I need to survive so I can do comedy. It's really all about comedy. It's not mm-hmm. all about comedy. So I don't mind have-tos for comedy, like going to mics and going to shows and being on shows especially. I, I don't mind those have-tos, but... Um, and I, I set goals for myself regarding comedy and things like that. But the rest of my life, I try to keep very free of anything with that. So I have it to give comedy because I only have so much, so many shits to give, you know, I only have so many fucks to give and I can't give a fuck about everything. So I save all my fucks 
for comedy. <laughs> I try to. So I, I just, that's why I can't be involved in, I mean, I'm still going to vote like I used to vote. I've always voted. I've just never been involved in the politics. I've never attempted to try to sway other people's thinking or got behind a candidate and debated people on it. And, and then I did, and I found that it was pointless, that no one ever walked away thinking differently, no matter what I said. No one never swayed a single fucking person to do a damn thing except maybe register to vote. Maybe. I, I, you would be surprised that the people who, the people you swayed are people who didn't have opinions, who saw what you said, not necessarily directly to them, or they heard you say something. Those are the people you swayed, but like, yeah, you're right. The people that you see, especially online, if they already have an opinion, like I've very rarely had my opinion changed. I mean, but I mean, I'm one of those people that like, I actually changed my mind very, I, as I used to be a hardcore Republican. Yeah. Um, I voted for Bush and I switched because of Bernie um, to an independent. And like, I wasn't a Democrat till I got here and I started doing stuff with the Democrats. But um, like if somebody hands me, uh, like a good example today was I was going on about people saying Trump said something he didn't say. And they're like, yes, he did. He did say it. I'm like, okay, well, show me the quote. I'll totally switch my opinion if you show me the quote. And they just show me the same quote that I was using to say he didn't say it. I was like, well, you're not going to change my mind off that. But if somebody did and they're like, oh, here's where he actually said word for word that, I would be like, oh, well, I'm obviously wrong. I'm uh, actually finding it a lot of fun to fuck with Democrats and Republicans. Oh, yeah. Well, the hard part now is it's it's easier to fuck with, with Democrats right now because they're being – the overtly shitty ones when Republicans are just laying low. I mean, like, hey, let's give a lot of money to companies and give like a little bit away to people for once. But Democrats are just like looking shitty all around just because of all the primary stuff. So it's hard to not be overly shitty to Democrats right now. So I'm trying my best. I so, just, you know, this no blue no matter who thing. Oh. Like, give me a better hard. reason. Because the only reason they can ever give me to vote for Biden is that he's not Trump. That's the only reason I can be given, and that's not enough. I'm not going to vote for Hillary just because she's a woman, and I'm not going to vote for Biden, Biden just because he's not Trump. Um, right. And so then I'm told it's my fault if if Trump wins. It's my fault. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like me, it's all my fault. Um, yeah, and so it's just exhausting, and I'm like how about you just don't worry about how i'm voting i don't know how i'm voting i don't know it's in november we'll see what happens when there's, there's still a couple months to get rid of biden they're not going to do it but there's no still, still it, entirely possible <laughs> i didn't know what i was going to do in the last election until i went in the booth and then i voted for the green party not because i wanted that person in there necessarily but i knew that if they have to get 5% of the vote to even be considered anything to get people at, and have a chance to even have people at debates and to be, you know, get precinct committee people in there and stuff like that and build a party. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to vote for the green party. I didn't like her. I didn't, the main thing I didn't like about her was that she just was anti-vax. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't think she was anti-vax enough that she was going to push that agenda on us right um that was how she felt but she didn't really speak out politically 
again. She walked it back. Like she'd walked back her anti-vax stuff. She was more anti-vax before she got into politics. So a lot of the stuff that they were pulling, calling her anti-vax was before she got into politics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's not pushing that agenda. I don't expect the president of the United States to think exactly like I do about everything or to be atheist or whatever, but I expect them to respect the laws and keep things separate and, you know, still do what the majority of the people want. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, anti-vaxxers, I'm not, they're not pushing that agenda. I don't think it's going to be a problem. And it's right. really, a lot of that stuff isn't even at the federal level. The president doesn't have a lot of control over vaccinations and stuff. Right. That's a state by state requirement that your kids get vaccinated for certain things to go to school and stuff like that. So they don't really even have a lot of control over, over any of it. So who cares how they feel about it? <laughs> the hard part for me is that the trying to limit my have tos got hard after um, 2016 because I was running a state Senate campaign and I was volunteering like endlessly for Bernie and everything I did in that kind of rolled over into like building more organizations. I'm on the board of our revolution in Denver and like that rolled into trying to help other candidates. And then other candidates would come to me and say, I'm the progressive one and no one will help me and I have no money. Will you help me? That type of stuff. And it just pulls you into giving fucks. And then I ended up running a city council campaign and she wants to continue working with me on like, we we're going to join the green party and try to get, um, leadership positions with that and try to just work on ranked choice voting, getting that passed in Colorado. But like, it just keeps rolling over into something new, something new where, um, like I just got done doing campaign finance for Diana Bray, who was running for Senate. Um, it was like, that was something I never would have done, but she's just a nice lady I met on the prop One Twelve campaign and she needed help. Like she didn't know anybody who knew how to file campaign finance reports. And I had like, kind of done it before i'd done it before on paper but never electronically so like i learned how to do it and she paid me to do it but like it's just <laughs> it's just people pull you into the have to's i think now, if i I'm had not started comedy i would have gotten more pulled into politics what was that if i hadn't started comedy i would have gotten more pulled into politics see it pulled me out of comedy i i came here doing comedy um the second to last show i ever got to do actually was um comedy comedy works um when dave Chappelle had done that pop-in and i think it was in november of 15 um and like i got to do that one and the next night we had like a house show um on santa fe and then i don't think about maybe like two or three open mics i haven't done comedy since because politics just pulled me out of it a lot of times i couldn't say stuff because the stuff was like sensitive or maybe I could make somebody look bad or um, a lot of times it just wasn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> was, a lot of times I, I've actually noticed that with a lot of comics, like they get so political that um, they have so much going in their head that they're like, they just start talking about what's fucked up instead of what's funny. And yeah. sometimes you just gotta go take a break. I've seen so many people do it, but I think. Well, I was, I've been asked, I was asked to do some political fundraising events for democratic candidates and I was like I will but I have no political comedy and I'm not going to write it for this event 
I'm going to do my jokes that I do. I'll be glad to come entertain your people. But if you think I'm going to get up there and make a bunch of jokes, making fun of Republicans or whatever, that's not what I do. And that's not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take my time to write material for it that I can't use later. So that's not happening. And so those all fell through because I wasn't going to be, I'm not a political comic. I'm not. And I just talk about my life and sometimes politics get involved in that if it's something that's affecting my life, but not really. And then nothing would pull me away from comedy. Um, but I found a way with my nonprofit to feel like I'm giving something back and helping in some way by creating more, hopefully more female, more queer comedians um, to put more voices out into the media or into, you know, in front of people's faces because comedians become actors and they become other things and they get on screens in front of people. And so if I can get more voices out there, that's all I can do. So I, I just really try to focus on something that will be impactful, but that also I feel comfortable with, and I feel like I can fully support it without really compromising my integrity or my beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I've managed to find an outlet through comedy that I feel is, I just don't have it in me to play the game of politics. I don't have it in me to be nice to people's faces while you stab them behind the back. That's what I was told I had to do. I, the, the vice president of the Sedgwick County, which is the county of Wichita's in, he told me, because I was trying to get precinct committee positions filled, which you probably know is how you change your party, because they vote for people who vote for people who vote for people that run the party. And so they didn't want them filled. And so he was trying to distract me and tell me I can go work on some senator's campaign and how I'd be so good for it and how everybody's going to know my name is what he said to me. And I was like, I don't give a shit if anybody knows who I am. I want to fill precinct committee positions. I want people to know who I am for my comedy. I don't care if anybody ever knows who I am for politics. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, what? You know? <laughs> And I was like, I can't do this. I can't stomach it, man. I can't stomach dealing with politics of politics. I'm out. Yeah, I've I've tried to go back and um I briefly ran for US Senate and I wanted to go back to doing comedy as I ran for US Senate. And um that didn't work. I didn't plan that out very well. <laughs> I mean because I just like to say what's on my mind. I don't want to have to sugarcoat anything. I don't want to have to, you know, think about how it's going to be edited to be taken out of context or, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to have to, I'm not going to worry about all that shit. I can't and do comedy. I can't do it. So the comedy wins, man. Nothing would take me out of comedy. <laughs> Well, if you stop being funny, it's it's easier. I've, when I first started doing comedy, when I was doing comedy in Nashville, I actually felt pretty funny. And when I went to, when I did that comedy work show, like I felt like I got laughs. I didn't get them the way I wanted to. You know what I mean? Like, it's the people still laughed. It wasn't like what I thought it'd be. And um, and yeah, I mean, I had plenty. Of, I didn't bomb all that much. But at the end of the day, like I could just realize that 
what I was saying was more of like common sense and critique than actual humor. And I think it was pretty easy to stop when I could just notice how funny other people were and be like, well, I'm not really funny. Like, I think they're funny. I like hanging out with them. <laughs> I think I'm funny enough. My story, my, my jokes are about my life, really. Um, they're not observational, outside observational stories. And so it's just my life. And so, um, and I think I'm fairly funny. I don't think I'm going to be a rich, famous comedian or anything. I don't think, um, I, I'd like to be friends with those people. So I feel like I'm funny enough to get respected as a comedian and people to give a shit about what I say about comedy, but not enough that I'm going to be selling out arenas or some crazy shit like that. That's not going to happen, but um, maybe I can help support other comedians that do have that ability to get to that level, that want to be at that level. And then when they get rich and famous, I'll get invited to their secret island wedding. Right. know who I am and I can walk down the street. When they're flying around to Jeffrey Epstein's island. (laughs) I'm not, I'm mostly friends with female comedians, so I don't have to worry about that shit. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my thing is female and queer comedians. Um, Do you go to the Blush and Blue? Yeah, I never. It's not like a, it's not like a stand-up open mic now. It's a, it's like a mixed mic. I mean, stand-ups can go in there, um, but it's not, not like it's unfriendly to stand-ups. But they don't want it to be the stand because stand-up comedians will just come and take over mm-hmm. a mic, um, and they just don't want every, every, all the fucking dudes coming in there to do comedy um because they do poetry reading and stuff like that serious shit and um so if you're going to go in there and you're going to do comedy it helps to be queer and have queer related material um which i have queer material that i'd like to work on that i don't work on at some mics mostly because all these kids i've i've been i did it years ago i was going to bring it back and start working on it again and then all these kids, uh, these dudes are coming out as bi, which is great. Be glad. Live your truth. But when you have three white dudes before you talk about being bi, I don't want to just come up there and continue to talk about queer stuff. And then I don't want people thinking I'm talking about it because, like, it's some sort of cool trend to be queer right now. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for that to die down and pass, and then I'll work on my queer material. But um I want to go to Blush and Blue. I just never have thought. I think I could be okay. I think I. I think they would like me at that mic. I think about that too. Like who's gonna like the audience? Not necessarily at mics, but you know, I don't want to be spitting comedy at an audience that doesn't want my comedy. Mm-hmm. I, I used to host a show there. Um, when was it? When? It, well, I mean, I used to go to Penny from Heaven's show there uh, pretty frequently, and then. Um, I got a show that was like a, a political show. Um, and the first one was awesome. And like 40 people, like 30 to 40 people were there. It was really packed in that little room. And then, um, and yeah, it was a real hit. It was great. And the next one came when I scheduled during pride. And I was like, It'll be pride. It's such a great time to do something wrong. Totally wrong. Nobody was doing anything other than just partying all the time. And yeah. so, like, literally, there was as many people in the audience as there was on stage. And I was like, oh. that was the end of that. 
But I love Jody over there. Jody's from Vermont, just like me. The first show I ever was booked on in Denver was at Blush and Blue, and it was Jordan Weibler's show. Oh yeah, burlesque. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked that. It was a really good time. I had a, I did a really, I had a really good set. Um, I really liked that room, and I liked the people in it, and I liked the burlesque, even though I had to. Um, what not just pay not pay attention to some things going on up there but that's because of my deep pentecostal guilt that i think <laughs> i think i'm over it now and i can handle burlesque um I love burlesque the one down at uh, the clock towers i went like um i remember one a couple months ago naked people in public naked. made me very uncomfortable anything's yeah <sighs> so uncomfortable inside Really? I, you know, I think I used to, um, when I moved to Nashville, I moved there with this um, girl who beat me up and uh, I literally had to flee. Like she put my tooth through my lip. She made me bleed out my tear duct, um, put a gash in my head. Um, and like she got taken to jail and, but she had the lease and I had to go basically like I was homeless for like two weeks and then I got, a place off Craigslist and the questions went, do you smoke weed? Yeah. Do you drink beer? Yeah. Are you gay? No. He's like, do you have anything as gay people? I'm like, no. He's like, can you handle being around gay people all the time? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, cool, you're in. And after that, it was like my experience of like diving into, um, like I was in East Nashville, uh, right next to this thing called, um, uh, the queer dance party. And I started going to that and I was like the only straight guy <laughs> at a lot of these things. And um, so that was like kind of my dive into it. So then when I moved here, I was like, I lived right next to Blush and Blue and I found out that stuff was going on, like burlesque and stuff. And yeah, I, it took me a while too, but like, I don't know. I feel like being the only straight guy, like you get ribbed a lot and like people like chase you around with three foot dildos and fuck with you all the time. And <laughs> it was just kind of like a, like thrown in the water. So then by the time I came out here, I was like, yeah, where's the burlesque? <laughs> I finally was able to enjoy a strip club. I've only been to two in my life. The first one, I was just so uncomfortable because it wasn't very clean. And uh-huh. just worried about the cloth seats. It wasn't even about the neck. The nakedness was also a problem. And they weren't the best quality uh, to be looking at naked either. I appreciate that more. And then... <laughs> Yeah, it was just sad. The one I went to here was sad. Everyone in it was sad and it was dark. And oh, it was in Denver? It was in Wichita. It was oh, dark okay. and sticky. And then I went to one in Omaha that the comedian guys took me to because they were going to corrupt me, as they thought. Um, and it was like a BYOB one. Um, the women were beautiful and healthy looking. They didn't look like they were stoned out of their minds on drugs. Um, they seemed to be enjoying themselves. They were um, very protected by the staff and people weren't allowed to be assholes to them and they were running the shit. You know what I mean? They were, they were in control of what was happening at that club. I could feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I mean, I did a lot. Of, I spent a lot of time there just watching the people, watching. There were men and women in there, but I was watching the dancers. I was watching people interact. I was analyzing the shit out of all of it before I got real drunk. Um, and then, and my friend bought me like a little bit of a lap dance, like she was on the stage. 
and she like flipped onto me and did this thing with her boobs on my face. When she flipped <laughs> onto me, I said, oh my. And then she did the thing with her boobs and I was like, thank you. And then she flipped back off of me, just her athleticism I was impressed by. And I was like, you're doing a wonderful job. It's <laughs> like so supportive. But give her more dollars, she's great. And um, yeah, and so I had a good time. I ended up staying like two hours later than my friends, they all went home. But um, there was just some weird swinger couple there and I got involved with what they were doing. It was the, and I just, cause we were, there's a sweeter cup girl across the stage. And I was sitting at this point with like two dudes and their married friend who just got drug along for a night who really wasn't that into it. You know what I mean? Like it was two single dudes. And then this married guy who hadn't been married very long, who was like, can I just go home to my wife? Um, <laughs> I don't need to be here. I have, a woman at home and the guys were just complete assholes for the most part and they were being like just complete jerks to the women and so the women were ignoring them they ended up getting kicked out by the end of the night but um there was this couple across the way and they were like like she was like flirting over the thing with this guy one of the friends and ended up sitting next to him. And I had been watching all of this from a table so I could see both sides. And so once she was over there talking to him, I came up and I started talking to the friend because I could tell he was the married friend. I mean, I just, this was totally from observation. I, I saw his wedding ring. I saw his behavior. I saw the behavior of his friends. I picked him out as the married guy that really wasn't into it. So I went up to him and I was like, I have to know what the fuck is going on here. What is up with this couple? He's like, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. They seem to be together, but she's saying it's her cousin and all this other stuff. And then I went over there and I talked to the couple. Like she had moved back over there with him. Um, oh, the guy was, she kissed the guy and he thought he was hot shit because this chick kissed him. And I was like, she'll kiss anybody right now. Watch. And so I went over there. I sat down next to her. I tapped her on the shoulder when she looked at me. I was like, like that. And she kissed me and we kissed. And then I went back over there and I was like, see, she'll kiss anybody that goes over there is willing to kiss her. You're not special. <laughs> and, but I had a conversation with the couple on the other side. I was like, look, what the fuck? Can you please tell me what your game is? What are you doing? Are you like a couple who um, is swinging and like, you're going to go home and have like a lot of hot sex because other dudes want her, like what's happening. And they just kept trying to tell me that they were just really good friends and that they like to go out and do this and stuff. But I was, I, I, I wasn't buying it. The way that he was looking at her, the way that he was watching her with the other people. It, yeah. It was totally like a swinger thing and they were going to go home and have some really hot sex together. Um, but yeah, it was just so many social dynamics happening in there. That's not what usually people do when they go to the strip club though. I'm sure. I've only ever been to one and it was in, um, Sherbrooke, Quebec. And my friends took me cause they still lived in Vermont. And so I went and saw them. Like, oh man, we got to take you Sherbrooke to the strip club. It was, I was like 23 or 24. And, um, in Quebec, they don't wear anything. They don't wear bottoms or anything. And um, I had no idea what to expect. Also, at the time, I was like 300 pounds, so I was like super self-conscious and stuff. And like, um, my friends were like, all right, well, let's get you a lap dance. And they take you in the back room, and prostitution is totally legal there. 
And so um, they're literally like asking you, like, do you want to go in the back after this? Do you want to go fool around? And you're like, no, no, no. And then um, one of them, I remember I came there with a set amount of money. I was like, all right, I'm going to spend this much money. And I remember before it got started, um, where she just sitting there waiting for the dance to start. And I was like, here's, here's all my money that I have left. It was like $40 or $50 or something like that. She's like, Oh, thank you. And so as soon as I gave it to her, she stood up and took off all of her clothes and then sat back down until the song started. <laughs> and I like the first one who she like took them off as she went, this one just took off everything as soon as I handed her the money. And then as soon as the song started, she put a foot across the booth and the other foot across the booth and ha- put my hands on her waist. And as like, everything is just like right in front of me. And then she starts doing this like hand thing in the light for a little while and then gets down and dances. And then when she got done, I was just like, I didn't know what to do. And so I got up and I was just like, hug. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> and my friends were like, when I was driving them home, cause I was the DD, they were like, I told them about it. And they're like, you hugged her. I was like, yeah, I didn't really know how it was supposed to end or whatever. And he's like, were you like, Ooh, thank you for letting me disrespect her body. <laughs> I was just like, uh, I don't know what my reaction was supposed to be. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, I've never been back. No desire. The other, yeah, strip clubs, not so much. The other strip club I went, I just wanted to do it. So I knew I could do it. Now I know I could do it. I don't need to go again. But the first strip club I went to, the girl came off and I was, unbelievably drunk at this point just trying to desperately get comfortable and I had a t-shirt on and she um was dancing on me I was sitting she was kind of dancing on me um and then she kind of like put her arm around me and sat on my like the arm of the chair and was like pushing her boob all up against me and talking to me and she smelled sweaty and weird and uh, (laughs) I felt like felt like Forest dump, you know, she smelled, she tastes like cigarettes, you know, and um, I was not comfortable, but I gave her a 20 thinking that that she would be like, oh, I've got enough out of this table. I'm going to move on. But that's not what happens when you give them a 20. And she put her hand down my shirt into my sports bra, touched my nipple, and I jumped up and almost knocked her on the ground. I was like, okay, time to go. Time to get out of here. And we left. And but the the other fem the other stripper, she was not like that. And we did, you know, we 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 enticed her over. They they got over my head. He had a stack of ones and started throwing them out there at her. And so she came over and he was like, No, for her, not me. And then she did her little dance thing and but just the way she flipped onto my lap and then it was just her boobs in my face and then the way she flipped off and she was dancing in front of me and stuff and I was just yeah I was just like thank you um it was a whole different experience but she smelled good and her boobies were soft and (laughs) and were like firm but not hard or anything they were real definitely some good smelling lotion on there and then the most interesting thing was there was a my favorite stripper, the one I liked the most, was in the bathroom because the women used the bathroom that the female customers used. She was in there and she peed and before she walked out the door, she bent over and looked in the full view mirror at her at her junk. And I was like, are you checking for toilet paper? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh man, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. You're a thinker. Gonna go far. Like I was so impressed. <laughs> Attention to detail, you know. You'll get far in that business if you don't. I bet. 
Yeah. But they were, they were nice women. And I don't have, I don't, I, I don't see it as for the most part with most clubs. And I really don't see it as like degrading women because if you sit there and you watch and you pay attention to the men, um, these women are in control of the situation at that club anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, they were the ones that they could say no if they didn't want to go into a room with somebody or give them a lap dance. They had the ability to not, not do it. And they did. And there were some people that got kicked out because they were pissed. But that's because the guy was being a jerk to them while they were on stage. The guys, the friends of the married guy were being complete assholes and like slamming their money on the stage and be like, you, you, come here, come here and shit, you know? And See, and just, that's, that's why I can't. That's why I can't do it because... I, it's not so much the women making me awkward or anything like that with what they're doing. It is when I look around and I see like the dude in the snakeskin jacket who's just like super low and he's like pushing the money and he's just like sweating profusely. And then there's the other guy across the way who's just like yelling and like taking bags of Coke and like flapping it around and be like, dance, dance, dance over here, private dance. And you're just like, no, I don't want to be any part of this just because of who else is here. It's like being in a room full of Joe Rogan people and you don't want to be associated with them. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Joe, a lot of Joe fans there. I bet if we did a, if we did a survey. Also, it's like, um, I don't, what was I going to say? Being around a bunch of dudes like that. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, there's, I, I don't want to be, I don't, I, it depends on the club. Some clubs do not put up with that. They don't allow that behavior um, and they protect their workers and they don't allow that kind of behavior. And they, they back up the girls when they say, no, I don't want to dance. I mean, and there's a lot of predatory shitty clubs out there that don't, um, that don't do that. And then, and so those clubs are gross. I don't know how pleasures works. I feel like, I've known some of the, like, long time ago, like, 99, I knew a girl that worked there, and so she had friends that were strippers, and I was invited to a party, and I was a little hesitant to go, because I thought it was just going to be this giant orgy for some reason, but it was just a normal party, and everyone had their clothes on, and the strippers had boyfriends, and some of them had kids that they had to get babysitters for, and, you know, they were just regular-ass women, and that happened to be their job. So your discomfort that you described about burlesque, I think I've actually felt that before, was that I did get invited to an orgy once. Uh, both my old, my old roommate, the, the gay guy who took me in, and then I had a friend named Carrie who uh, lived down the street. They went to the same orgy place. And um, there's like four different floors of this place and you'd bring your own beer. And um, like the bottom was like a dungeon like the main floor was like sit around in the living room and the upstairs had their own themes and stuff, I guess. But they were explaining it to me. Like she was trying to get me to go with her because her and her husband were like in an open marriage or whatever. And I was just like, she was telling me about how it worked. And I was sitting there with my knees up and just like wrapped around like, ah. and then he, he came home and he's like, what are y'all talking about? And she tells him, he's like, Oh yeah, I go there every Thursday night. And, and uh, yeah, trying to just talk me into an orgy had to have been the most uncomfortable thing ever. 
Yeah, I never went. I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to go to a fucking mansion orgy. I get propositioned to be part of threesomes frequently when I was online dating. Because um, I do like sex with women and men. And so, but I don't have any desire to be in an orgy of any kind or a threesome. Yeah. Uh, seems too, I, I'm an overthinker and there's too many variables. Uh, I can yeah. barely do the regular sex. <laughs> I barely do the regular sex. So, <laughs> so there. <laughs> like, I feel if I was at the orgy, I would just stand in the corner. Like, I'm sure there are other people standing in the corner jacking it, but I would just stand in the corner and giggle. I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't get up. I would just be giggling at everything and like, I would ooh. be like, oh my God. Oh <laughs> I might be down to watch one, but if anybody approached me, I would run. It's one of the things like I would like to go to this place you were talking about just to observe it by myself, not with any other friends. Behind go glass. <laughs> go in there and be a fly on the wall just to see it. Um, you know, I want, I want to go to a nudist colony. My problem with them is they're either pervy or they have kids at them. And I don't want to be naked around kids because that's really my last bit of Pentecostal guilt is just being comfortable being naked without it being sexual because I've always, I just had it ingrained in me that nudity is sexuality after a certain age, you know? And so just to, just to be free of that. Uh, have you been to, um, um like a hot springs where they get nude no they're one of the comedians aaron wentz i don't know if you know who he is mm -hmm. he's a kid he's like 23 he wanted me to go with him but he wanted me to go right then and it was the middle of the night and i was not getting out for anywhere but i was like that sounds fun i'm willing to try it just not right now but he wanted to go to yeah that you can swim naked but you have to be in a couple to go in you can't go in as a single man Single women can go in or couples can go in, but a man can't go in by himself. And so he wanted me to go with him just so he could get in. And I was like, I'm totally down. And I, I, I asked him if he wanted to do it on Valentine's Day, but he had shows booked. Um, and uh, otherwise we would have. But I want to go just to see it. I don't really, I'm not going to participate in it. There's a place I'll tell you about called Valley View Hot Springs. It's in, um, it's near Salida. Uh, the actual name is is escaping me but it's near Salida called Valley View Hot Springs and um, it's like a clothing optional one and I went there with a lady who the first time was my girlfriend and then later she's like I need a driver for this vacation will you go with me we've been before I'm like, okay and so um, yeah it was also weird because that is one of the places where like sometimes like there's kids running around and there's naked adults running around and that's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> like, you're, yeah. like, especially like, cause I was, uh, during the day, I can remember actually the first time we went up, there was kids. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna, we'd said like, wow, we won't get naked till later in the night when the kids run around. But like, we would see their faces and <laughs> like, yeah, there's definitely no sexual tension whatsoever, but seeing their faces, they're just like mortified, these melting, because most of the people there are older. Like we were yeah. some of the like only people in their 30s there. And like most people were over 60, I would say. And, uh, but just seeing these kids, they were so mortified. I felt bad for them. <laughs> but it is wonderful. I got to say that like once you actually do it, it's like, yeah, I was in the same position you were, I'd say, when I did it. And it was like very kind of freeing and stuff. But yeah, I definitely still didn't get naked around the kids. <laughs> I mean, when I was a teenager, I skinny dipped in the dark at the lake and stuff with my friends. 
but you couldn't really see anything and we weren't near each other and we weren't, there was nothing sexual about it. It was just hot and we happened to be at the lake. Um, you know, we just end up at the lake sometimes and we didn't have swimsuits, so we just get in. And, um, but that's when I was like 17 and I was usually on acid. When I'm, when I'm on shrooms, I'll get naked in front of anybody. I don't care. That's why I can't do shrooms like at High Plains Comedy Festival. All the comedians were on shrooms after, you know, at the after shows and stuff. And I was like, I can't shroom and be in public. I will take my clothes off. I will not care because they are so uncomfortable. I have to get them off. Oh, and I can. Okay, I can get that now. I was pretty confused for a second because I was like, oh, man, I wouldn't want to do that. But now I can understand because you get so clammy. Yeah, I just, I don't. I don't want my clothes on when I'm tripping on acid or and I'm tripping on shrooms and I don't care who's in there. I don't care. I don't think of it sexually. I just want to be free and have my clothes off. Right. I'm quite the shroom fan myself. I have to do them in my own private space so I can be naked. <laughs> and I don't, and I don't care about sex when I'm on shrooms. Oh, so, me neither. I, I actually was talking about that with a friend just the other day. She asked me, she's like, have you ever had sex on shrooms? I'm like, no, it's the last thing on my mind. So I've I tried, tried a couple of masturbating on shrooms and it took forever. And it's like, why would you, you just want to be like, no, I'm good. Like I'll just enjoy the colors and the, all the other yeah. stuff. I, I, I tried it with two different people on shrooms and I was like, get that out of me. This is weird. Don't touch me. I don't like it. And so I have like material about shrooms and how I think that um, people should shroom together early in dating because there's people that like to fuck on shrooms and people that don't. And I find it a good barometer on compatibility. <laughs> um, Same with, well, with, that was what I actually had with Molly. With shrooms, I haven't, I've only ever shroomed with my roommate. But I took Molly with a girlfriend once. And, like, I remember getting horny at one point because, like, you just get so involved with that person. And, like, you have such an emotional connection. But, like it would have been impossible, absolutely impossible. Like, I couldn't even move without getting nauseous, let alone without, like a boner. So like, I don't know how like that would be possible, but like definitely like I encourage people like if you're in a relationship to do Molly together at least once. Cause you'll just sit on the couch for six hours and learn everything about that person and like really care for them. I'm like that anyway without Molly. I can't imagine how annoying I'd be on Molly. <laughs> I'm already like that. <laughs> that's how I want my relationships to be all the time I don't want to I don't need a drug to be like that <laughs> probably helps <laughs> it takes have you ever taken that no no I'm it's already, I'm already so emotionally open um that I don't need to be more emotionally open I'm afraid to be any more emotionally open than I already am I don't oh I don't I can't I don't, I don't, it would have to be with somebody I would really, really loved and trusted because I fucking am already so open as it is. Who knows what I'll fucking say. It's usually, from what I understand, I think it's pretty universal. Like people are, it makes you very happy and accepting. And it was, a, from what I hear, this is true. It was a drug back in the fifties for whenever like women hated their marriage, they'd be like, oh, well here, take Molly. And then they found out it gave you Swiss cheese brain and they stopped, but it like saved millions of marriages for a good 10 years. <laughs> I told it electroshock therapy, but <laughs> we don't do that as much anymore. So not like we used to, but 
but I think I'm going to get out of here. This cat wants out of the bedroom. Well, thank, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. You didn't make me think you were a piece of shit, so <laughs> that's good. It's a good start. You never know. Well, if we ever if we ever get out of this, we should go to a burlesque. You you might like the you might like the clock tower. Yeah, I really i I need to do. I haven't. I've been in Denver like a year, and I only do comedy stuff. I don't really go do anything else, unless it's comedy related. So I should probably. And now this pandemic took comedy away, and I have nothing. Mm -hmm. I have nothing. You can do virtual life. comedy, huh? I've seen virtual comedies of. I've done virtual like comedy, yeah, but it's not the same. Definitely. Because not. half of the going to a show or going to a mic, for me anyway, is hanging outside talking to the other comedians. That's kind of what this podcast is for, too, is just to get high and talk to people because that's how I write. That's how I think of things, you know, and I'm just really sick of talking to myself all the time. <laughs> well, shit. Well, thanks for talking with me, Helen. Tired of being in my own head <laughs> all the time. I feel that. I talk a lot too. And just because there's no one there to talk to doesn't mean these thoughts aren't happening. I'm just, <laughs> it's just me and it. It was my dog. I talked to my dog a lot. Dude, I talked to Austin so much. I'm not yeah. going to have the dog now. I'm leaving it here in Wichita with my sons because my dog is miserable because it wants other dogs. Oh. I don't. I can't have another animal, so I'm gonna go back to Denver alone <laughs> with no animal. No cat? Do you have a cat? I, my roommates have a cat, so I'll talk to baby cat. The baby cat's very vocal, and he's like meow, meow, meow. So he'll. It feels like he's talking back. This mm -hmm. cat here that my roommate has is like a rescue that she found in her shed. It was a kitten, and she's still pretty scared, so she's not lovey dovey, but she's so fucking just adorably cute. Just. <laughs> melts your heart she's so fucking cute but i thought about taking her back but i need a cat that's gonna love on me i need a cuddly i need to be able to cuddle it and smush it that's the same way and that cat's not having any of it maybe someday but i don't know i'm gonna go i want to go build out a van so i don't really want to get another animal until i've done that so that that's the only life they know and that's the life i get them accustomed to um, right. And it could be a cat. I could leash train a cat. I'm not opposed to the right getting a kitten. Um, but it'll probably be my old dog, Pete, because he's like eight. And he doesn't have a lot of life left. He's a big dog, big black dog. He's not too big. He just goes out and pees and comes back in now. He doesn't need a lot of exercising or external activity. And uh, he's a good dog. He listens. He doesn't want to attack other dogs or people. My other dog, Brian, is also a big dog, but he wants to eat children. Oh, and damn. I, I'm not risking that. And he's a little racist. Um, oh, damn, that would be a racist dog too. Yeah. So, but Pete's a good boy. So it'd be nice to. I was finish him out. Just take him on the road with me and live in my van until he's too old and I have to put him down. <laughs> and I figured if I got a puppy while I still had him, that that would help train that puppy on how to be a dog. Pete's a good right. dog. So. Someday, I'm just waiting for my tax return to come back to me from student loans, which I saw today. I saw it refunded, so I'm just waiting for, I'm hoping to leave Wichita on Sunday, but I'm going to be here until it gets here. It's being sent to my mom's address. So hopefully, they said it should be here by the 13th of May. 
and then I'll have $5,400. Nice. Right? What? <laughs> That's so much money to me right now. That's so much like, money. I'm actually in the exact same situation. I got hit by a Hummer limo when I was driving Lyft. I just got my money in. That's why I'm on this vacation. Vacation. <laughs> it's just my, I just, I mean, I'm trying to get a day job if I can find the right one, but it's got to be the right job. Like I'm, I have, I've had a cup, like an interview at National Renewable Energy Lab, um, just as accounts payable, because that's what I do mostly. That's my like expertise. And, um, but to be able to work at an organization that I, that's actually doing some sort of work that I don't feel like I'm part of the problem. Right. Like I was working for a high, I was working for a high end jewelry thing for like six weeks or so, two months. And I just couldn't stomach it because I, who needs a $750,000 watch? It was just gross. Mm. It made me sick. I couldn't stand it. So if I'm going to do a day job and I'm going to spend 40 hours a week or more doing a job, I need it to be at an organization that at least I feel like they're doing some sort of good in the world. And right. full energy is like the going to save humanity, I think. So Plus they, at least, I bet you there's some people there that can help me put solar panels on my, in my, in my van. Right. For sure. All comes back to comedy. All comes back to comedy. The van's for comedy. Keep my overhead low, be able to travel where I want. It's all about comedy. So we'll see. I want to get one that's a church bus and then just leave the church stuff on there. You froze up for a second there. There was a guy I met who did that. Um, his name was Arizona Lou, and he was 84 years old. I met him in Nashville, and he he had spent the rest of his life doing that. He was not a comic. He just babbled and babbled, but he thought he was a comic. I've met Arizona Lou. I have done shows with him here in Wichita. Uh, actually, I think it was in Salina, and he is annoying, and he is homophobic. He's still alive? Yeah. He's homophobic. Everyone loves him and they get his stupid fucking shirts, but he's homophobic and he's fucking racist and he's a fucking misogynist and he was demanding that we not sit in the back row like my brother and me were doing the show and his wife was there and he just inf insisted that she move forward because of his video he was shooting. He takes it very- Oh my God. <laughs> that's awesome. That sounds, oh yeah, that's him. He's Holy a comedian shit. if you ask him. He takes it very- very seriously oh, he does he he's does obnoxiously annoying and he goes on and on and on for 40 fucking minutes it was terrible we gave him 10 full and let him let him headline quote yeah. quote and he was he was just fucking as happy as could be but man he didn't tell any jokes <laughs> not funny even the jokes he does tell they're just antiquated and terrible like <laughs> joe biden became a comedian you know He's the Joe Biden of comedy. I'm not saying that he's sexually harassed or anybody. I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked if some allegations came out. <laughs> he kind of gives me a Chester vibe. Chester vibe? Yeah, it just seems like a <coughs> I don't trust his van. I don't trust it. Seems like he offers kids candy or something. I don't know. Have you done comedy out in Nashville before? No. No? It was... I was hoping to do it. I was supposed to do fucking pandemic. I was supposed to do a show like headline two shows out of town for the first time ever. I actually was going to get paid to do it and make some money. One was going to be in Atlanta and one was going to be in 
uh, first there was going to be a show in New Orleans and then one in Atlanta. And they were like five days, six days apart. One was on a Friday and one was on like the next Saturday. So seven, eight days apart. So I was going to find some shows between, but I wanted to hit like, I could dip over into Florida just a little on the tip there. I wanted to go up to Nashville, like kind of hit other states around mm -hmm. there. And then now I can't do it yet. So. Nashville is small, but everyone's cool there. I mean, I think, I think overall there's like, I think there's more assholes in Denver. Um, there's like more total cool people in Denver, but in Nashville, like everyone's like per capita. tight knit, you know, like per capita, there's less assholes in Denver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Per capita. I really like looking at those data, that data. Per capita. <laughs> like, sure. There's only a hundred assholes in them. There's a hundred assholes in Denver out of 500, but there's a hundred comedians in Nashville and only 10 of them, you know, or whatever. I don't, I'm not really, I don't know if those numbers match up, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want, I know some cool comedians that live there. I know one that went there, Joe Kelly. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. He lived in his van. That's when I started getting the idea. He lived in his van. He had a podcast called Utilizing Shrooms that I listened to. And, um, he lived in Goldie and then he finally settled down in Nashville for a while and he's been doing really well. He's super funny. So yeah, when I was there, I remember him. I remember Ron Placone. Um, he's in California now and Chad Ryden. And there's Mary J. Berger. Mary J. Berger. She's wonderful. Yeah. Her and I have Chad her shirt. Together. It doesn't fit me anymore because I got fat, but I have her shirt and I love her little squirrels. Her squirrels died. Well, um, they had babies and then one died, I think. Yeah. I don't think they're all dead, but one of them she died. But they don't live that long, mm -hmm. especially in captivity. <laughs> Do you know Dehern? Dehern Black? Mm -mm. No, he's, I don't know. Okay. I don't know how to quite describe him, but he's one of those Nashvilleites. Sounds familiar. No, I want to go visit. And then I got friends in, where does he live? Mo Alexander, wherever he's at. Mm -hmm. Memphis. I think he's in Memphis, but he's always trying to get me to come. He's like, come out this way. You can stay at my house. You can hit all these different cities and stuff. And I'm like, it's just so far, you know, mm -hmm. I have to plan that shit. And it's just never been able to happen. But take Derek Rush with you. He's from there. He's always looking to go out to Memphis. I, I like to travel alone. Understandable. Road trips. <laughs> and if I did travel with a comedian, it'd be a female. <laughs> Derek Rush is super funny. He's been on a couple different Zoom. He was on a Zoom show that I was on, and then he was also, I watched him on the Zoom show. So I've seen him a couple times in the pandemic. I've never seen him do comedy before. Oh, um, he, he's a wonderful guy. He, he's he's really hilarious cool. on the, he was hilarious. He's just sitting in his car. He sits in his car in his garage and just smokes blunts and hot boxes the whole time. And I, so I got Joe, uh, Joe Jesus. I got uh, Rush his, uh, his uh, job at Sexy Pizza. Uh, uh, I met him, he was, or not met him, like we did comedy a couple times and then he was sitting outside drinking and just telling me how bad it was. And he was basically living up in some attic. I was like, He's like, yeah, dude, I don't, if I don't have a job, I'm going to have to move back to Memphis. I'm like, fuck, dude, work here. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and he's been there ever since. I came and went, but that dude's still, I think he's still there, last I knew. Uh, but yeah, he's actually one of the nicest people I ever met in my life. 
Although one time um, he did during the election, he made it to where we couldn't talk about politics no more because he told a woman she was a bitch for voting for Trump <laughs> who worked there. He said, well, you're a fucking bitch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh God, <laughs> HR problems. <laughs> wow. I won't hold that against him, but wanting to be trapped with somebody for two weeks in my bus or my van. Yeah. Well, this is van, then you can kick him out. No. I wouldn't be able to kick him out. Everybody loves and respects him. Oh. I'm not going to piss him off and kick him out. I'm not saying he's going to do anything bad. He'll annoy me, though. Somebody, whoever is with me, is going to annoy me <laughs> if I'm stuck in a car with them alone for two weeks. Right. They're going to annoy the shit out of me. So I, I, I really enjoy traveling alone. I mean, I would love to find a partner in life that could travel with me. It would be super dope. But I'm totally cool with me going out on the road and coming home to somebody too. You know, it's not a requirement that they be able to go on the road with me. It'd be super fun if I could stand somebody that much. But I have not found anyone that I can stand to be around that much. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> well, well, thanks for having me on, Helen. It was good hanging out with you. And I will yak at you later. <laughs> See you later, Alan. Take it easy. Uh-huh.